We've been involved in church our whole married life. We have never been out of church. I mean, there's been times when it's been very difficult for us to do that, but we've always stayed very involved, very active in the church. I grew up Catholic, and you grew up non-denominational, and we would, you know, attend each other's churches, um, but we didn't really have a home of our own, (laughs) and and we would just clash. I mean, we could not come to an agreement. Especially when it came to, well, what are we going to do when we have kids? We got in a fight one day about uh, me taking the children to church, and so I was like, well, then come to church, and so he decided to come to church. Every day, you know, you lift each other up in prayer, and you just bathe your marriage in prayer. All right, ladies, as we start off this new series, this uh, From This Day Forward Marriage series, ladies, how many of you, when you were little... You dreamed about getting married someday. You dreamed about this beautiful wedding. You dreamed about this guy carrying you over the threshold. Some of you may have even dreamed and and named your children before you ever met the guy you were going to marry. How many of you are like that? There's a few. rest of you, did you dream? Okay. Now, guys, do not raise your hands on that one, guys. Because if, if you did... You need to turn in your man card. We'll have a bucket up here. We'll bring a basket, and, and you need to turn in your man card because you can't come to church. No, no, here's what guys did, and, and I'm just going to lay it out there. Guys, how many of you dreamed about the day you were going to get married? You were going to have sex twice a day and three times on Sunday. Can I see your hands? Glory to God. We got a few men in here that, that are being quite honest. That's true. That's true. You need to ask your husband that. Did you really dream about that? Because here's the next question. How many of you are still dreaming? All right. If you raised your hand, we're, we got a class for you starting up in just a couple of weeks. Um, there's so many expectations about marriage. So many things that we don't know and we get into marriage and we think this is going to happen and it doesn't happen. And there's disappointment, there's hurt, there's anger, and then there's divorce. And many of you have been so wounded in relationships that you're asking the question, is it possible to have a great marriage. And I'm going to tell you unequivocally, yes, but, there's a big but, there's always a big but, right? And I'm not talking about your spouse, okay? Don't don't say, preacher said, you're the big but, you're the problem. Yes, a great marriage is possible, but not if you do what the world does. If you do things like everyone outside these walls are doing, you will more than likely fail in your marriage. Statistics tell us that 50%, over 50% now of all marriages fail. And and by the way, Joe was telling me a statistic that he read. There's actually 30% fewer marriages now than there were just 10 years ago because more and more people are living together before they get married. And, And don't think that, you know, just because those don't count in the statistics, people who live together break up just as much as people who get married. So we'll, we'll talk more about that. But, but if you want this whole 50% thing, 50% of a chance that you will not succeed, then you keep doing what everybody else is doing. And of those 50% that do succeed, the vast majority of them are just existing. They're not thriving. They're not happy. Many of them are miserable. A lot of them stay together just for the sake of the children. So the odds are really stacked against you if you do what everyone else does. Now, let me ask you a question. What other area of your life would you go for the 50% failure rate? All right, let me just ask you some questions. If you know that there's a 50% chance that you're going to develop 
cancer from eating that cereal in the morning, what are you going to do? Change cereal, right? Unless you're an idiot. But I like my cereal. Well, okay, take your chances. If there's a 50% chance, if I could tell you today that your bank had a 50-50 chance of failing this week, what are you going to do? Change banks or get it in cash and bury it in the backyard. I do need to go back and check my dad's house. My dad actually told the grandkids to always check under the tulips if he died. And I have not dug there yet. Before we sell the house, I've got to go up there and and dig. Now, if I said that there was a 50% chance that when you leave this building today at 12.01, you would be attacked by a herd of man and woman eating cats, you'd just be fine with me preaching another hour, wouldn't you? Let's leave it one. Let's not leave it 12.01. Let's just go. You would do something different because you're not going to put up with a 50% failure rate anywhere else uh, in your life. But we do it in marriage. Just blows my mind because in our jacked up society, you can't get a driver's permit without some kind of training, but you, anybody and their dog can go, and probably their dog, quite literally, can go down to the courthouse and get a marriage license. It's now $82, but you don't have to do jack to get it. That just really seems stupid to me. You and I need training before we get into marriage if we want to have the type of marriage that God says is possible. So if you're not married, don't do what the world does. Do things God's way. Get married in a church by a pastor because when you make a commitment, whether you do it in front of the justice of peace or not, marriage was God's idea. It goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. This is not something we get to vote on, whether it's a male and a female. God established it that way. And regardless of what our votes are, God established it that way in the, in the Garden of Eden. And so you're not making a contract with another person. You're making a covenant with a holy God. And you're asking that holy God to bless you. And, and so you need to be doing things God's way because if, if you go, now I do a little bit different. I, I try to do everything different than traditional, but, but if you get, if you get married by a pastor, chances are you're going to say some, some vows like I did to Janie, uh, 23 years ago, my brother did it, but he was pretty traditional. And so he said, he, he said, repeat after me. And so I said, I Doug, take you Janie to be my wife, to have and to hold. What's the next phrase? from this day forward. And that's a pretty cool phrase because if you think about it, it means it doesn't matter what happened in my past. It doesn't matter if if I was completely jacked up. It doesn't matter if my family was jacked up. It doesn't matter what happened in Janie's past. We are starting a new thing. We're crossing this line together. From this day forward, the two of us are going to do things differently. Uh, From this moment forward, my commitment to you before God is that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay with you. This is, these are the promises we make. We say these words much too lightly because we say before God in sickness and in health, for richer, for poorer, for better, for worse, forsaking all others, I will be faithful to you as long as I shall live. And then many times there's a little phrase tagged on the end. You know what it was? So help me God. And really, that, that should be like with a bunch of exclamation points. God, please help me do what I just promised before you and all these witnesses that I said I was going to do. 
So because it's such a struggle, we're going to talk about the next five weeks, five weeks, five commitments, that if you will make these commitments to your spouse, you will fail-proof your marriage. Number one is seek God. That's what we're talking about today. Second week is fight fair. Third week is have fun. Fourth week is stay pure. And the fifth week is never give up. So I want you to say those with me. We're just going to kind of go through them. They're right there on the screen for you. All you got to do is read. All right, ready? Seek God, fight fair, have fun, stay pure, never give up. Say it, say it again. Seek God. A little bit louder now. Good. Thank you for playing. Now, today, we're going to talk about seeking God and what that means. So, the big fat problem is most people aren't seeking God, are they? You know what they're seeking? A spouse. Right? We're seeking that perfect someone, that that person that's going to meet all of our needs because everyone knows that you can't really be happy in life until you meet the one, right? So the guy goes out and he meets this girl and she's pretty. He goes, oh man, she's hot. She smells good when she smiles. It just does something to me. I think I've met the one, right? You've heard it. Or the girl, she goes out, oh, that's not a good girl's voice, but that's what you're getting. Oh, Wow, he's so sweet. He talks and he talks and he talks. I'm like, dude, if he's talking now, you better get used to it because he ain't talking once you get married. But anyway, and he's got such a cute little behind. I don't know what ladies say, but you know, she's like, I've met the one. Because what people really believe is to be fulfilled in life, you have to meet the one. Just one time I want to hear somebody say, you know, I went out with this person and they're seeking after God. And their faith inspires me. Not only do I enjoy being around them, they make me a better person. I think I've found the two. Because see, culture, actually, this is one time culture teaches you something that's right while also teaching you something that's wrong. You cannot be fully fulfilled in life until you find the one. But the one is not another person. This, This is foundational. This is groundbreaking for your marriage. Number one is God has to be your one. Your spouse has to be your two. God is your one. Your spouse is your two. When Jesus was asked, what is the greatest command, the most important commandment? He didn't say, love your spouse with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You remember what he said? Matthew 22, 37 through 39, he says, Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus is saying, God is your one. Everybody else, well, your spouse is your two, and then everybody else comes after that. Now, how many of you are not married, but you would love it if God would bring you your two? Let me see your hands. You're not married. You'd love it if God would bring you two. Come on, come on, come on. Leave them up, leave them up, leave them up, because this is, this is not going to work unless you all get your hands up. You're single. You want to be married someday? Raise hands. Raise hands. Raise hands. Now leave them up. Look around. Because you never know. There may be a connection here. And um, we're all about growing the church and, and, and any way we can. You can name your first son Doug because it happened in church, right? <clears throat> I helped you connect. Well, that will be a good story someday. If you're not married but you hope to be someday... This needs to be your life statement. If you want to be blessed by God, here's your life statement. I will seek the one while preparing for my two. I will seek the one while preparing for my two. We don't need to seek a spouse. We need to seek God because I want you to look at what Jesus said. Matthew 6, 33. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. Above all else. How many many things are above all else? 
So seek the kingdom of God, what? First. And live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. Look at this next verse, one of my favorite verses, Psalm 37, 4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Those of you who are single, how many of you are seeking God before a spouse? And, and I've seen a lot of your Facebook posts, so be real careful here. And, and I, this, you'd be surprised how many times I get on the back of the card, I, I want a spouse. And, and sometimes, sometimes I say, Lord, don't give them a spouse because they're not ready. Sometimes people are ready and I say, God, where are they? I know you're not going to waste this type of person on somebody who's not worthy. And if they'll trust you, God, I know you're going to bring them. But there's a lot of times, I'm sorry, don't ask me to pray for you to find a spouse if, if you're not living for God because you're not ready. How many of you are seeking God before a good time? Because I know a lot of people that that's what they're looking for. I just need a good time. I don't want anything serious. I just want to have some fun. How many of you could, could look at your lives and, and, and you could say, I am delighting in the Lord? Because this says, delight yourself in the Lord or take delight in the Lord, depending on your version, and he will give you the desires of your heart. See, I, I fully believe that God did not bring Janie and me back together. We've dated, we've known each other for years. But God didn't bring us back together until I got to a point, I got down on my face and I said, God, I am tired of, of looking I'm tired of doing things the way the world says. I, I want your woman. And, and I did not know it, but, but a couple of hundred miles apart, she's walking across college campus saying, God, I am tired of doing things my way. I, I want whoever it is. I don't care who it is, God. I, I will seek you. A week later, we got back together. Less than a year later, we got married. And I'm convinced that it wasn't until we were ready and said, God, whatever you want, I will delight myself in you. If I'm single the rest of my life, that's okay, God. I will go wholeheartedly towards you. And until you're ready to do that, God's not going to bless you. Andy Stanley tells this story of a young girl who was a very committed Christian and like many uh, many Christians went off to college and she kind of got into the peer pressure, started, started succumbing to peer pressure and started partying, started drinking, started doing all of these things. And the, and the drinking got worse and worse until she got into drugs. And then after that, it was guy after guy after guy. But she said, I still, I still believe in God. I still want to have a godly marriage and, and someday I'll come back to God, but not right now. One day she met a guy that was everything she'd ever wanted in a husband. He was a godly man. He was a leader. He was, he was leading a Bible study, discipling other men. He had a great career, great job. She was so excited. She went home to tell her mom. She said, mom, I met the guy that I think I want to marry. He's everything. He's perfect. And I think I'm going to make myself available to him. And, his, and, and her mom, as lovingly and as gently as she could, she said, well, sweetheart, I got to tell you something guy like that isn't looking for a girl like you. It's okay to say ouch. See, if you want God's best, he's not going to waste it on somebody who's not seeking after God. A guy like that's not looking for a girl like you because here's the dilemma. You attract who you are, not who you want. If you hope to have a godly marriage someday, you've got to live a godly life today. 
seek God and become the type of person that someone else wants to marry. Now, if you want to marry somebody who's had 18 different sexual partners, then go for it. You're going to be in that 50-50, and, and I'll actually give you less odds than that of making it. If you, want, if you want somebody who's different from that, though, you're going to have to do something different than what the world does. You're going to have to seek God. I will seek the one while preparing for my two. Now, if you're married, this becomes your life statement from this day forward. I will always seek the one with my two. Our marriages will never be what God intends unless he's number one, spouse is number two. I will always seek the one with my two. Because what we do is we try to make our spouse one. Sometimes we do that, oh, you're going to meet all my needs, and we elevate them to a place that they were never intended to hold. And then we're disappointed. Or we might even put God number one, but a lot of times we'll put our spouse, uh, our children, or our jobs at number two, and it does not work. God's word says he's got to be number one, your spouse has to be number two. Now, do you know what you make your spouse or your boyfriend or girlfriend if you put them number one? You make them an idol. And you say, oh, you're going to make me happy, you complete me. You make me feel so good, I'm so alive, I'm nothing without you. And, and you put this person in a place where they are incapable of meeting all your needs. It is not humanly possible to meet your deepest needs because you were created by God. And you're set up for failure because God, Satan does this switcheroo thing. You see, because first we idolize, then we demonize. First we raise them up, oh, you're my everything, and then when they don't meet all of our needs, we demonize them. You idolize, then you demonize. You're not doing right, you're not doing this, you're not meeting my needs. See, it's like this. Here's the drill. He meets a girl and he goes, man, she's so organized. She's so driven. I just love her passion for life. They're married for a little while. And he goes, she's a control freak. I can't breathe in this relationship. She's driving me crazy. Nag, 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 nag. Right? Or the girl, she said, he's so laid back and he just comforts me. And he's just so easy to get along with. And later she's like, he's a bump on a log. Lazy sucker. All he does is play video games all day long. Idolize, demonize. We idolize and demonize. To have the marriage that you want, you've got to seek the one with your two. So how do we do that? Very simply, how do you seek God? And, and this whole series is just going to be the most simple building blocks that you can imagine. I don't want to load you down with a bunch of things because you won't do a bunch of things. So today there's one thing that you're going to do is you're going to establish seeking habits, specifically keystone habits. Now a keystone habit is a good habit that when you do it, it gives you momentum into other good habits. Or a keystone habit is something that if you don't do it, it causes negative momentum into bad habits, like exercise, something that you do and it it makes you feel good. One of my keystone habits, I've told you about this before, several uh, months ago I shared this, some of you will remember, one of mine is flossing. I floss every day. If I'm in Haiti, I floss. If, if I'm here, I floss. I floss every day so that when I go to the dentist, they actually always comment about my gums. You have really healthy gums. I say, well, I floss every day. And they say, we can tell. And then when it's funny because my hygienist, when the, when the dentist comes in, she goes, he flosses every day. And I say, yes, I do. Because I'm a flosser. Now, when I floss, here's the deal. When I floss, I feel like I can sleep. When I feel like I sleep, I get more rest. When I get more rest, I wake up feeling refreshed. When I feel refreshed, I get up and I read my version Bible study and I am filled with the Holy Spirit. When I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, I come to work and I have a great attitude and I observe all of the warning signs and the speed limits as I come out here to work. And I get a lot done. When I get a lot done, I go home and I wave at the nice police officer who's got his radar out because I'm not breaking the law. And I get home and I'm nice to my family. When I'm nice to my family, my wife thinks I'm sexy and life is good. 
All because I flossed. <laughs> right? If I don't floss, I can't sleep. I wake up grumpy. I don't read my version Bible study. I'm not filled with the Holy Spirit. I come to work in my power and not God's power. And, and I don't follow all of the warning signs on the road. And I come here and, and I don't get everything done. And I go home in a bad mood. And I don't see the nice police officer behind the billboard with the radar gun because one of you has cut me off. And as I'm going around you, I'm thinking very bad thoughts about your car. And, and I don't see him and he pulls me over. And the first thing I'm thinking is, oh my gosh, I'm going to get a ticket and it's going to cost me a lot of money. And then my insurance is going up and I go home and I'm not very nice. I kick the dog. When I kick the dog, my wife isn't happy. I'm not, I'm not nice to her, the family. Then I'm not sexy and life is not good. Why? Because I didn't floss. (laughs) Right? You understand. I'm exaggerating just a little, just a little. A keystone habit is something that promotes positive energy to you doing more positive things, more positive habits. So I want to talk to you about the type of uh, keystone habit you need to have with your wife. Here it is. It's very simple. Keystone habit for couples. Seek God together in prayer. To those of you who aren't married yet, let me just say this. And I've, I've been saying this since I was a youth minister. So I was a youth minister for 19 years, been preaching for, for 12 years here at this church. Um, when you pray with somebody, it is incredibly intimate. When, when, when you pray with your spouse, you hold hands and you, you ask God, the God who brought you together to pour out blessings on you, man, that is intimate and, and it's going to cause you to want to kiss. I'm just telling you that straight up, right? So, so if you're not married, then you need, to, you need to pray with somebody of the opposite sex at a restaurant in broad daylight in public with a table in between you, Right? Don't ever pray on a couch or on a bed or horizontal. Don't do it. Now, if you're married, pray in bed. I mean, it is good stuff. I love it when Janie's not in here because I just have complete freedom to to give you the word of God. Because I'm just telling you, I'm I'm being honest. And and here's the deal. When, When we do marriage counseling, I never, ever meet with someone of the opposite sex without my spouse there or without their spouse there. Because when you start sharing, this is the reality. Your body flows, your body follows where your feelings go. So I only want to connect with my wife. And, and I told this, we, we had some, we're, we got, we're training some marriage mentors because at the end of this thing, we're going to have some of y'all sign up for, for mentoring. And, and there's three areas um, for you to be mentored in. There's, there's prepare. So if you're not married yet and you, you want to get some insight from somebody who's walked that path before, there's repair. And that's if your marriage is, is struggling and you've got some issues, you need somebody to help you there or maximizing. So when we're finishing up yesterday, I gave this challenge. I actually gave this a long time ago, and I know John and Ann have been doing this, and, and it's pretty awesome. It's, it's called the 15-second challenge. And so once a day, if you're married, once a day, you need to kiss for at least 15 seconds. So I told Janie, I said, we're going to start doing this. She said, okay. And so, um, but you've been married 23 years, so, you, you know, practically, she goes, but not right now. I have coffee breath. And I said, okay, baby. So, you know, we brush our teeth, and then it's like, okay, I'm ready. But what's funny is the end of that day, she goes, she goes, you ready for our 15 minutes of kissing? And I said, 15 minutes? We better lock the door. Um, uh, 
Yeah, yeah. Because 15, well, never mind. We'll get on that another day. Now, here's why praying is a keystone habit. All right? Keystone habit, praying with your spouse. And it comes from Second Chronicles 7.14. Now, God is talking to his people, and he says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. So there's, there's several things that are involved in praying together. Being humble enough to bow before a living God because you call him your Lord. If you're not going to bow before him, then you got pride issues. And the Bible says God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. If you're too proud to pray, then, then your heavenly father is not going to be involved in your marriage. It's just that simple. But if you'll take the hand of your spouse and you will go before a heavenly father and humble yourselves and pray and seek his face and turn from your wicked ways. Look what he says. He says, then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin and will heal, heal their land. Some of you, you say, well, I've prayed, but I don't hear. Well, okay. God, God always answers yes, no, or not yet. Sometimes you're not ready for the answer. Sometimes your spouse isn't ready for the answer. And so God says, until you're ready, I'm not going to give you that blessing. Until you humble yourself and call out to me, I'm not going to be involved in your marriage. But if you will humble yourselves, he says, I will hear from heaven, forgive your sin, and will heal their land. And I think you could just slide in this phrase. It's not in there, but I don't think that that God would be upset with me. If you will make it a keystone habit to pray with your spouse, God will hear from heaven, forgive your sin, and will heal your marriage. Every week, there are people in this congregation whose marriages are on their last breath. And I'm just going to tell you the most basic thing I can tell you is get on your knees and pray together before your heavenly father. Humble yourselves and seek his face and turn from your wicked ways and watch God work in mighty ways in your marriage. Now, some of you are like, I don't know what to do. Well, you just start out simply. Uh, One of the things that really attracted me to my wife was one of the times we were dating. This was, this was before we got engaged. Last time we got back together, we were walking around her parents' house and they used to have a house down on the river uh, in Meridian and we were walking on the little Caliche roads and, and we're just walking along and, and I said, I said, I wanna, I wanna always pray together. And, and Janie goes, well, let's pray right now. We're just walking. And I said, oh, okay. And so we started praying and, and I, I prayed first and, you know, just praying as we're walking along. And, and I'm thinking, God, you know, because I'd never done this with, with a girl. I'd never, you know, and I said, uh, Lord, I pray that you uh, watch over us. You know, and I'm just talking. And then, then it's Janie's turn. And, and it was just the sweetest thing. A bird flew by and she goes, God, that bird is awesome. Thank you for making that bird. I was like, that's pretty good. And then she just started, she said, this day is perfect. Thank you for Doug. And I I mean, she just melted my heart with her prayer. And I said, I want to marry this girl because I've never found one like her. You understand what, what prayer does for you? What your heavenly father does when you pray to him? And, and I want you to, to just make it simple. Janie and I pray every night. This is our habit every night. We get in bed and, and, you know, she always has to put on her, her lip stuff because she wants soft lips and I'm okay with that because I like her soft lips. Um, but she'll put on her stuff and I'll turn off the light and then, then our hands go and, and we fumble around till we find each other's hand and we take turns praying. 
And, and it's the last thing. I mean, come hell or high water, it's the last thing we do. And we pray for our kids. And, and, you know, if I were my own children, I would be worried about this because we pray almost every night, God, if they're doing something wrong, we pray they'll get caught, but we pray you spare their life. And almost every time we pray that, they get caught. I mean, you should be going, how did you know? God told us, you know. But just make it simple. It doesn't have to be this long theological prayer. Just start out. And I'm going to tell you something, guys. I'm just, I'm, this is free. If you'll pray with your wife, she will be drawn to you emotionally, physically, every which way. I, I hadn't met a, a woman yet who would say that it's not sexy when her husband prays with her and for her. She's drawn to you. It's the way God wired us. And, and I want you to think about this. If you'll make this a habit, it's really simple. Pray for your kids, make a list, just pray. It's really hard to fight with somebody, somebody that you're praying with. It's hard to say, I hate you, you're a jerk, you're the antichrist. Let us pray. <laughs> oh, God, our father, you know. No, it's hard to do that when you're praying together. It's hard to commit adultery when you're pl- praying with your wife and you have spiritual intimacy at the deepest level, you don't need anybody else. In fact, some of you think you need a new spouse. Probably your spouse needs a new spouse, one who will walk wholeheartedly with God. Because you, you do what we talk about over the next five weeks, you'll have a new spouse. Your spouse will have a new spouse and you will have this relationship that others look at and say, I want that. Um, It's hard to get caught up in the traps of things we shouldn't be when we're having deep spiritual intimacy with our spouses. And it's really, really hard to divorce somebody that you pray with every day and you pray for. A lot of you are thinking, it's just too much. Okay, take your chances. 50% or greater that you're going to fail. If that's the odds you want, then go for it. If, if you want more than that, then get, get crazy spiritual and say, I'm going to pursue God with everything that I have, and I'm going to do it with my spouse. Years ago, Family Life is, is an organization many of you have heard about. They did a survey of Christian couples, thousands of Christian couples throughout the United States, and they found out only eight out of ten Christian, eight out of a hundred Christian couples prayed together every day. And then they went a little further, and they found out that of those eight, so eight percent, of those 8% who pray together every day, less than 1% ever divorced. So you can have 50% against, or you can have 99% chance of success. That choice is yours. Seems kind of dumb to me, but you got to make that choice. We seek God first, so help us God. But, but we aren't doing that from this day forward. We've never done that from this day forward. We don't even like each other right now. From this day forward, we're going to make this commitment and watch what will happen. You'll start liking each other. Uh, I read this story about this pastor who went to visit an older couple. They'd been married over 70 years. She was 88. She was dying. He was 90. He said when he got to the room at the hospital, it was packed with family members because this... this, uh, this granddad and grandmom, that she was the matriarch literally of the family and everybody was loved. And they were in there singing. And, and just at this one point, 
the 90-year-old granddad stood up and he opened up his Bible to Psalm 23. And he read it through tears. He read it to the, to the children, but he also read it over his wife. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And he just read this whole thing. And, and, and the pastor said when he finished, he closed up tears in his eyes. He went over and he, he put his hand on his wife's head. And he prayed and he said, God, I want to thank you that I got to spend over 70 years walking this earth with my best friend. I want to thank you for her love and I want to commit her to you right now in heaven. He said, amen. And he leaned down and kissed her. And a few minutes later, she slipped off into eternity. After everybody had left, the pastor went up and he goes, dude, I want what you have. Tell me your secret. And the guy said, he said, I, I, I could tell you about all the mistakes we've made. Too many to even count. He said, but the one thing we always did, we were faithful to pray together every day. I'm telling you, if you don't get any other thing from this series, if you will start praying with and for your spouse, God will revolutionize your relationship. So I don't care if you're young, old, married or not, whatever, but you recognize that God hasn't been your number one. Then, then I want to ask you that today, from this day forward, God is your number one. If you're married, I want you to grab the hand of that person and I want you to seek God daily for the rest of your life from this day forward. And, and if you're willing to make that commitment, I just want you to raise your hands, whether you're married or not, whether you've been doing it or not, if you're going to say from this day forward, I commit to praying daily with my spouse, raise your hands. Cool. I hope you take that seriously. Now, there's some of you who realize that, that if people were to look at the way you spend your time, the way you spend your money, the way you spend your life, God's not been your number one. And I'm just going to tell you that, that he wants to be. And God sent Jesus Christ, his son, to die to pay for all your sins. Everything you've ever done, he, he's made it possible for that to be forgiven through Jesus Christ. And what the Bible says is all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Some of you today need to call on the Lord because he's not been your number one. And you've been running around doing all kinds of other things. You've been trying stuff your way, but it's time today that you start doing things God's way. God will never tell you to do something that's contrary to scripture. God will rarely tell you to do something that that people that you admire and respect spiritually that they go, well, that's really a dumb idea. Occasionally, but, but usually if God's put spiritual people in your life, you need to listen to those spiritual people. If you're the only person who thinks that this person is the right one for you, you're wrong. And, and see, what, what it, the Baptists have done this, and, and I'm Baptist, lifelong Baptist. We're actually affiliated with the Southern Baptists of Texas. Just don't tell anyone. Don't want to scare anyone off. But what Baptists have done is we have said that you can have God as your Savior, but not as your Lord. That is not biblical. What Scripture says is, if you will bow down and ask God to be the forgiver of your sins and the leader of your life, He is your Lord and He gets to call all the shots, that's when He becomes your Savior. You see the difference? Because a lot of people would just walk the aisle, pray a prayer, and you'll be saved. It's fire insurance has no impact on your life. You walk out there and nobody knows you're a Christ follower. And I'm not saying you got to be a nut. But you should be different. 
If what the world is doing isn't working, I mean, we had a whole series. We talked about weird. We want to be weird because normal isn't working. Normal is broke. Normal is divorced. Normal is, is letting people you don't even like tell you what kind of clothes you should wear and what kind of car you should drive. That just seems stupid to me. So if you're ready to do something different, today could be the day from this day forward that he is your forgiver and your leader. Would you bow your heads for just a moment? I'm just curious if there's anybody here, you've never stepped across the line of faith and asked Christ to be your number one. If you've never done that, would you raise your hand? Okay. If you're interested in God being your forgiver and your leader, the Bible's real clear. It says, call on the name of the Lord. So the way we say it, we say, God, I know I'm a sinner. You can just pray this silently where you are. And I ask you to forgive me of my sins and to become my leader from this day forward. Now, if you pray that prayer in a minute, the Bible says that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Jesus Christ is writing your name in a book of life. And when you pass from this life into the next, you'll stand before God. This is what scripture says. And he'll open up the book. And if your name is found written in the book of life, you have eternity in heaven. But Revelation says that if anyone's name is not found written in the book of life, he is cast into the lake of fire. So the choice is yours. We need singles who say, I want God to be my Lord, regardless of what everyone else says. We need married couples to say, I want God to be our Lord and we will seek him together, regardless of what the world says. We need individuals who take scripture and Jesus Christ seriously And when God finds that combination, he does some powerful things through that church. Father, we just commit this whole series to you. We commit marriages to you. I commit singles to you. And ask God that you do some miraculous things in our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.